Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Streaming sports, the latest trend. Major League Baseball and Fox are closing in on a local streaming deal, which could begin next season, according to Sports Business Journal. Fox, which holds local media rights for 15 teams, has been in active negotiations with the league for several years over a streaming service. The NBA's Los Angeles Clippers could be headed in that direction, but without having a TV platform. Owner Steve Ballmer turned down $60 million per year from FS Prime Ticket for local TV rights. That would have been a 140% increase from the previous deal. The former Microsoft CEO has talked about launching his own over-the-top streaming network. And while the NFL is signing only one-year deals to broadcast its newest TV deal, Thursday Night Games, it may try to grow the package through digital channels. Time flies when you're having fun. The efforts implemented this season in MLB to speed up the pace of play are having significant impact as the league's eight-minute decline in playing time is the biggest since 1963. The average length of a nine-inning MLB game has dropped from three hours, two minutes in 2014, the first time it had been over three hours, to 2.54 this year. Kudos to Commissioner Manfred. Relatively minor changes have resulted in a more fast-paced and exciting product. Let's see if the pace of play continues through the pennant race, playoffs, and the World Series. And for more on Commissioner Manfred's efforts, click on our first episode of Keeping Score, which featured a detailed interview with him. And another stride for women in men's team sports. The Charlotte Hornets are making Stephanie Reedy the NBA's first full-time female game analyst. Reedy, who had coached in the NBA D-League in the past, has always wanted to work as an analyst. And the league also had its first full-time female assistant coach this year in Becky Hammond, who's working for the San Antonio Spurs. The NFL, not to be outdone, hired its first full-time female referee, Sarah Thomas, who started her new gig this preseason, and the NFL Arizona Cardinals hired Jen Welter as the first NFL female coach. Sticking with women in sports, we turn to the president of a new college sports network. Lydia Murphy Steffens, president of the Pac-12 Networks, but also when you came on board with the Pac-12, you had a number of different mandates in a number of different directions. The, the launch nine months after you came on board, pretty turbulent nine months, huh? It was, uh, in hindsight, an amazing and active nine months, a little hairy at times. Uh, typically, it would take two years from development to launch for a sports network, and we had nine months. Uh, we doubled up a lot. Uh, I was very fortunate to have a team uh, come on board quickly um, who were incredibly experienced and very agile uh, great collaboration and team spirit and in nine months we we launched uh, seven networks simultaneously with TV everywhere uh, it was a, a flawless launch um, I'm incredibly proud of what our team was able to uh, do and I, and I use the word team uh, in the most sincere term uh, it was an amazing collaborative 
effort and there was no margin for error. Many times over the nine months as we were meeting with vendors uh, and explaining to them what we needed to have in place and what we were going to do, many vendors said it's impossible and I said well then we're spending too much time talking right now and on to the next and ultimately we surrounded ourselves with um, people who were able to help us get it done. And the models have to be important when you groundbreak. Was it the Big 12, Big 10 network and Longhorn as an example of what to do, not do? Did you look outside Golf Channel, Tennis Channel of what it created, sport only sport networks? Who, who were your uh, educators? Uh, Hands-on experience. I had been part of the launch team with Oxygen Media. Mm -hmm. I, I knew uh, what needed to be done from the ground floor up. We uh, had some front runners. The Big Ten Network was already up and running. The Longhorn Network, two collegiate sports networks up and running already. We learned from them in regards to what they did really well and where they may have made some mistakes. Nonetheless, um, we of course made some mistakes. Fortunately, that was behind the scenes. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we tried in every way to put forth best practices. When Larry Scott conceptualized the idea or people before him, was there a revenue target where you do a comparative analysis and you realize no matter what the rights fees could be from the the foxes of the world that you'd come out better, but there was also a, a risk. How, how, do you, how did you and the people before you make the decision to create this? Well, it's, a, it's an incredibly sophisticated model that was put forth by the Pac-12. The um, multi-platform media company, Pac-12 Networks, is wholly owned by all 12 universities. We're an independent. Uh, the guiding principles put forth um, were for us to launch a network. We needed to produce a certain number of live events in year one and year two and year three. Um, we were provided some guiding principles, if you will, uh, um, exposure for our 12 universities, exposure in, in, all, sports. in all sports, exposure for the student athletes. Um, never were we asked to provide a balance of men's and women's sports, yet because of the strength of women's sports in the Pac-12 conference, when we came out of year one producing 550 live events, there was a perfect 50-50 balance, women's to men's sports, which was very unique. Um, and you asked about revenue, was that important? Absolutely. It's a business and we have a business model in place. Um, our founding distribution partners, Comcast, Time Warner, Cox and Bright House provided the underpinning uh, money, if you will, through distribution agreements so that Pac-12 universities did not have to go out of pocket. We actually were profitable in year one. In the world of evolving governance structures with the new Power Five and who gets the leverage and who gets the power and by the way are the athletes paid and the guaranteed scholarships and all of those issues that are evolving, would it have been harder or easier to create the Pac-12 network today? You know, different factors come into effect as time goes on. And so if we were dealing with the revenue constraints or the appetite for more revenue, uh, 
three years ago when we launched the networks, maybe a different model would have been put in place. Maybe the Pac-12 universities would have considered a strategic media partner to provide uh, more upfront revenue. I don't know. I, what I do know is that the model is very successful and we have hit every metric we were asked to hit and now, you know, the focus has become, you know, monetizing the content, um, getting more distribution, increasing the revenues as the Pac-12 conference compares itself to the other large conferences and their TV model. Explain to our audience the bedrock foundations of, of the deal. Uh, equal ownership among the schools, equal revenue distribution, are you able to get into it? That's correct. The, the networks are equally owned across the 12 schools and revenue is distributed equally. Uh, keep in mind though, you know, that model, um, you know, very interesting, um, Larry Scott, was the architect of, of that model, and I believe it's the correct model. The top tier events for football and men's basketball were pulled out of the uh, uh, package um, and licensed to Fox and ESPN, maximum distribution, maximum revenue. The next bucket, if you will, of content came to Pac-12 Networks. 500 of the 850 events we produced this past year were never produced for television before, and probably if Pac-12 Networks hadn't come along, would not be produced. So it's found revenue. So found revenue is a lot easier to divide than revenue that somebody else has. We understand that from the NFL Green Bay Packers experience, for example, in the 60s, so we learn a little bit about that from here. But is that the core reason that you were able to get the Utahs, who generate 60 million in revenue or so, to buy off on the same model as the Stanfords, who generate twice as much? Well, keep in mind, so it, it was the Pac-10, and it became the Pac-12 with yeah. the addition of Utah and Colorado. So there was a staggering, if you will, of the two latter schools coming on board and being able to share revenue equally. We're now at the point where there is equal distribution. So, so Larry Scott is the modern-day uh, Pete Rozelle, or whatever you want to call it, as far as di division of media for the greater good. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Uh, how does the turbulence of college athletics, we touched on it earlier, impact what the Pac-12 does, the uncertainty relative to governance, paying kids, scholarships, uh, project ahead where the Pac-12 and television stands and all that? Well, I can't speak to that from the administrative side. That truly is the um, conference's role. As the head of the networks, uh, I would you know, comfortably say I'm in lockstep with the commissioner and take guidance from Larry Scott as we move along, making sure that everything we do is within compliance um, and always sensitive to the issues at hand. I could ask you if college athletes should be paid that's a terrible kind of question because it assumes a lot of things. So should college athletes be paid? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, coming, coming at it from, you know, uh, a former athlete who participated in sports 
at an elite level and did not have the luxury of the sport of speed skating being a collegiate sport. So everything I did in that sport was paid for by my family or me personally, while we also paid for my education. I look at the current collegiate sports model um, as a wonderful opportunity for student athletes to participate in their sport and get exposure in their sport and get an education. And, and so I'm probably the wrong person to ask in terms of yes or no. I look at it more holistically as a model that definitely needs to be evaluated. You're certainly the most modest person to ask about that. In 84, you were on the Olympic team, and in 94, you're in the, you're in the Hall of Fame, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, so that prepared you outskating everybody and beating the heck out of them prepared you for the job you've got now, basically? Well, it was one of many factors. Uh, I am a competitive person by, by nature. I love sports. Um, you know, more importantly than just loving sports as a whole, I love the human interest stories in sports. Uh, you know, I remember in 1972, you know, I'm going to date myself, but NBC Sports had the Winter Olympics at the time from Sapporo, Japan. Uh, two women from my hometown, Ann Henning and Diane Holum, were on the uh, U.S. speed skating team. I snuck out of bed late at night, sitting on the staircase through the banister, watching both of them win gold medals in the Olympics. That was my only way to watch the Olympics, was sneaking out of bed, and, and that you know, influenced my life. I immediately wanted to be a speed skater, and then after that I wanted a career in television. Today, my children, who are 11 and 13, they don't have to sneak out of bed. They have a device, they can record it, they can see what they want anytime they want, and if it happens to be after their bedtime, they can see it the next day. Would you be impressed if uh, I told you that I knew it was Northbrook, Illinois? <laughs> I'd go. be very impressed. Uh, no, you're in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Obviously, we know. What does the business look like 10 years from now? And I'm broadly defining the business. Uh, college conference networks, the business of college sports, the business of television, the business of college television. It's a lot, but where is it 10 years from now? What we're experiencing now, technology, has enabled the customization of content production, distribution, consumption, marketing, um, that will just continue where everything will become more personalized. Um, you will be able to open up your computer, whether that is a mobile phone or a tablet or a desktop or a laptop or even your smart TV, and it will be customized. It will say, Rick, here is your page, and here are all of the different apps, and you can watch Pac-12, or you can watch just this game, or you can watch this show. Everything is gonna become more customized. Give advice to those conferences <laughs> that wanna start a network um, that haven't done it already. What would, you, what would you do differently? How would you tell them to proceed? Uh, you know, we, we, um, we have seen tremendous value in launching Pac-12 networks the way that we did it. I would, two things, proceed with caution and surround yourself with really highly skilled and smart people. Uh, you know, by Pac-12 owning their own network, um, they have a lot of options. 
you know, and that's what it's all about. Nobody knows what the true value is, but by owning content and controlling content and controlling the destiny, there's tremendous value. I would say go for it. Thompson Writers audience, obviously global. Let's talk a little bit about your decision to enter China, inspired entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a big um, initiative uh, for the Pac-12 conference. We tested the market uh, over the past couple of years uh, on the TV side. Uh, we partnered with Lay TV and fed to them 27 live men's basketball games last season. The consumption was unbelievable. Uh, this coming season, uh, Washington will play Texas uh, in November. It'll be the first live collegiate men's basketball game in China. Alibaba came on board as a sponsor. Uh, we will uh, continue to blow out the distribution for Pac-12 content in China. It's a very important market for the Pac-12 conference as a whole, uh, about 14% of the students in our universities come from China. It's a tremendous opportunity. And that's what drives a lot of this too. So, but it's an interesting entrepreneurial decision. Steve Patterson, uh, a, a great friend and a great person, the AD of Texas, so I'm sure you had a lot of discussions about who, who gets China? And, and obviously you, have, you, you planted the flag. Uh, Larry Scott planted the flag. You know, I, I really have to give full credit to Larry. He is a visionary. He understands the importance of globalization. Uh, and uh, you know, prior to the game being set in China, uh, some of the schools have gone over for basketball tours and volleyball tours and um, Chinese athletes have come over to uh, the Pac-12 schools and participated in basketball and volleyball games. It's a mutual exchange program. Are you collaborative? Do you get along with the media folks at the other power conferences? Do you feel like you're competitors or, or allies? I think, it's a, I think it's a healthy relationship, very competitive, but, but also um, incredibly collegial. I think that there's a mutual understanding that we each have a different model in place and we're watching each other closely to try to discern best practices from each other. Do you still skate? Absolutely. Are you good? Do you beat everybody you try to, do you, do you beat everybody no, you, you know, skate against? I, uh, you know, I, I've actually, I, I'm in such horrible shape right now. I, I don't have time to skate as much as I, and it's not a leisure sport. We know that. It's a lot of fun. Interview's over. You can't say very good and then say you're out of shape at the same time. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks, thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. I'm Rick Harrow. The producer of the show, Alex Cohen. Associate producer, Bethel Hobtay. Assistance provided by Tanner Simpkins and Carlos Waddick, and the executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Colarusso. <laughs>